I promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Hello and welcome back to the Tread Weary podcast, the audio arm of treadweary.com. I am your host, Pastor Carlton Smee, and here at Tread Weary, as I always say, we are looking for the gospel. We are looking for the life of Jesus Christ given to us and for us, and it needs to come to us because we can't gain it ourselves. It is something that we receive that is given to us. And we spend much of our lives, much of our lives trying to fulfill some code, some quota, some expectation. And what we receive from Christ is that which we actually need, his life and salvation. Well, what we've been doing here at Treadbury is we've been dealing with stuff around worship. And part of what we've been doing with that is we've been digging into the Gospel of John and seeing where Christ is given to us, where God is creating worshipers, those who turn themselves to God or God turns them uh, to him, as the case usually is. And we are right now in the middle of John 6, and this is going to be quite probably at least two to three to maybe four weeks of discussion just on John 6, just with the sections dealing with this old, this bread stuff. And and the crazy thing is, is that in the lectionary, the, the three-year lectionary, the lectionary is the, is the texts that are given to the, the more liturgical churches for each Sunday to be read, and then those are the ones that we use for preaching. So it makes my job a little bit easier. I don't have to come up with the text that we're going to read and that I'm going to preach from. But often with the lectionary then, too, is you are given something at a very inappropriate time. For instance, in the year of Mark, which is year B, we're in year A right now. We just started year A, where we go through all of the Gospel of Matthew. Well, in year B is the Gospel of Mark, and we get a whole bunch of John in there, too, because Mark is not that long of a gospel. Well, for about four weeks in the month of August, usually, is when we go through John 6, and it's all this bread, just bread and bread and bread and bread and bread, talking, Jesus talking about being the bread of, bread of life and, and all this stuff. Well, we're going to try and do some of that stuff here, but in a little bit of a different way. But I will be reading to you from John chapter 6 out of my Christian Standard Bible. Again, my favorite version now. Uh, I've been using it for a few years, and I love the resources that they provide, as well as I love the readability. So let me read to you from John chapter 6, starting at verse 22, and I believe we'll go to verse 34. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum, looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? 
Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign, then, are you going to do so we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word. Open our hearts and minds to it. Grow us in our faith in you and help us us to learn as much as we can each day from what you have to say so that we might always feast upon you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, the next day means the next day after the the feeding of the 5,000. That was the beginning portion of John 6. When we took a look at it, we, we sort of broke it down a little bit into some, some pieces. And, and then we talked about Jesus walking on water, where we took a look at how those, how the these two stories uh, sort of depict each other in the other gospel accounts, the the feeding of the five thousand being the only miracle that happens in all four gospels, and walking on water that Jesus does happens in in three out of the four gospels. But here now is basically Jesus taking the time to disclose to people the truth behind why he multiplies the loaves and the fishes why he matters over and against uh, thing, other things that we might receive, why, why he stands as someone more superior than anything else that we might look for in this world or even in, in religion itself. So this is the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. So they noticed that the disciples left, that, the, that, that things were done, and, and they're looking for Jesus. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. So that so they notice something's not right here. We need to find this Jesus. We were trying to find him and make him king, and he, he snuck away. We need to find him, though. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. So they're off to do the exact thing that we should be looking to do, looking for Christ, looking for where he is, having our eyes fixed on him, our minds and our hearts fixed upon him. Well, it says they had to cross the sea. They were looking for him in places he was not. They had to cross the sea and they find him and they ask him, you know, teacher, rabbi, uh, when, did you, when did you get here? They didn't know when, when he when he got there, they were, they were looking for him in the place that they expected him to be, and he, he wasn't there. How often it is for us that we look for God or we look for Christ in places that we expect him to be, because maybe that's where we found him the last time. 
but it is there that he now hides himself and he is to be found somewhere else, somewhere else that we need him to be at that time. And often those places that we look for him are, are often places that we find him in the way that we want to find him in, in particular formats or circumstances. And we assume that it was him that we found there, and often it might not be. And so we have to go and find him somewhere else. I had a wonderful conversation today with someone who is really in a low place in their life. And he and I were having this conversation as he's struggling with some major demons, some major sins that he wants to get rid of. He wants to have purged. And we talked about the necessity of the gospel and the work of Christ and the fact that Christ grants to him value over and against any other value the world might give to him. And he said to me a very interesting statement. He said, I don't believe that God really answers prayer. I said, really? And he said, well, I believe that the act of praying is even more powerful and we had a conversation about that, and I and I was like, "You are you are almost there." The reality being that prayer is this humiliating force. It's this work in which we usually see it as being on our knees, with our head bowed in submission, turning to God, asking Him for salvation, asking Him for protection, asking Him for a cure, asking Him for for some sort of blessing, or thanking Him even for what it is that we have received. And he basically talked about how he didn't think that God actually answered prayer at all. And I had to have a conversation with him just about that in general. The fact that God does answer prayers, it usually just doesn't come in the answers that we expect. And often we get the answer that we need, and often it's even better than the one that we wanted, but we have to have our eyes opened to see it. Well, here we have people looking for Jesus, and they expected him to be where they last saw him, and he wasn't there. And they end up having to go across the sea to find him. Well, then it says Jesus answered, and this is one of those sections that, that I love. It's, I think it's underlined in, underlined in every Bible I have ever owned. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Wow. How many times in our lives do we step into worship or we step into some other aspect in which God has gifted to us something? He's given us something, and we love that something, but what often happens is that something, whatever it is, has become our God. And God gets obscured because of that something that we want, the, the gift covering up the giver. We just finished Christmas a few weeks ago. And the older I get, the less I want, the less I even need I, I don't need presents in order for Christmas to be good. I, I want family. I want friends. I want people around me who care about me, who just want to sit together and eat and drink, watch some football or whatever we're going to do, and enjoy each other's company for Christmas. 
it's that old cliche that we hear too much nowadays, but it's not about presence. It's about presence. You know, I'm, I'm wanting to enjoy the giver rather than the gifts. And yet, how much of our religious experience is tailored towards being sucked into the gift rather than the giver? How many of our churches are built around whatever sort of experience we can receive on that day, whatever it might be? So we get, we get brought up into this religious fervor because of the, the great music or this very charismatic speaker or this wonderful show that's put on on some Sunday morning or Saturday evening or Sunday evening or Wednesday night or whenever we go to church. And and we begin to worship the show. We begin to worship the experience when often what we need is to have all that stuff stripped away, all that stuff that fills our bellies and our minds and instead receive from God, God himself. You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, not because you saw the miracles, not because you saw this as this amazing work that bread was multiplied, that people have been healed that have never been healed, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You got your appetite filled. You got your ego stroked, whatever it might be. When often we just, we need something else. We need to be turned into true worshipers who, whose eyes and hearts and minds are turned towards the Lord. And maybe it takes not having the stuff that we want in worship, the same music we want, the songs we want, the the wonderful, uplifting sermon that we want. And instead, we need to have Christ come to us in the only way that he can, which is to bring life because we are dead in trespasses and sins. And those trespasses and sins creep into our worship where we need to have our worship in a certain way or it's not worship as though the Spirit of God can't enter the room when it's only eight people on a snowy Sunday morning and you don't have an organist or a band or anything like that. Well, Jesus goes on to say, Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Don't work for the food that perishes. I mean, don't work for the for for just the, the stuff that comes and goes, the fact that that I can spend my day worrying about what I'm going to eat, and I eat it, and I enjoy it, but then I go to sleep, I get up in the morning, and I'm hungry again. But work for the food that lasts for eternal life, the things that have an eternal purpose, an eternal consequence, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him, that it... it offers up this perspective that Christ is going to force feed you almost, push his food into you, turn you into a worshiper whether you want to be or not, take you by force sometimes because the Father has set his seal of approval on him. This idea that when a king would send out a document, it would be sealed in wax so that people would know this is truly from the king. It would have his seal his marker, and you would not break that wax seal so that people would know this is an official document. It's not been forged or or anything like that. Christ is no forgery. 
Christ is not seen in the things that we want him to be seen. He often comes to us in ways that we least expect, comes to us in ways that often are not that exciting. For instance, his word, how often it is we do not read scripture. We do not dig into his word because we don't expect to find Jesus there. We want to find him somewhere else, and yet it is here that he speaks to us, talks to us. Usually it's here that he puts us to death and raises us to new life because we are reminded of our sins and our need for a Savior. We're in his sacraments, in water, bread, and wine, in which we receive from him his gifts, the gifts of adoption as children, the gifts of his body and blood as the forgiveness of sins. Well, they ask him, what can we do to perform the works of God? Which is an interesting question because he talks about don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that lasts for eternal life. Okay, so what do we need to do then, Jesus? What are we supposed to do? They ask him. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent that you quite literally, you want to do the work of God? Well, God's going to do that work on you. It's God's work, not yours. Sorry, it's the work of God, not the work of Carlton, not the work of, of, of whatever, you know, insert your name. It is to actually trust, to actually believe, to call God honest, to believe that when Jesus Christ came into the world, he needed to come into the world for a purpose, to save you that you need saving, that you are worth saving, that you have value because of who you are in Jesus Christ. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you? They ask, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I love this. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you? And I want to sit here and go, okay. You you just see Jesus thinking, well, you saw the healings I did. Is that not enough? Okay, well, well, we're talking about bread. I, I just did a thing with, with some bread and some fish. Do you remember that? It's the whole reason why you came to find me, because you want the buffet Jesus? You want the, the, the vending machine Jesus? You want me to do the parlor tricks? So what, what do you want from me? You can see Jesus saying, And so they turn it around and they say, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate man in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Kind of no mention of God. There is, in a sense, he gave them bread from heaven to eat, and they're alluding to the work of God uh, in verse 28. But here in verse 31, our ancestors ate the man in the the wilderness. We already alluded to this when we were dealing with the questions around the feeding of the 5,000, the, the giving of, of the manna, you can go to Exodus chapter 16 if you want to. Uh, Exodus chapter 16 is where the manna comes, but also God sends quail, basically provides for them meat and bread in a wilderness where they had none of that stuff. It couldn't be grown or anything like that. And he provides it for them, gives it to them. It says here in chapter 16, Starting at verse 3, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. They're recalling their slavery and thinking, oh, that was better than this, which often can be the case for many of us. Walking with God being much more difficult than not. Walking with God being much more difficult than 
living uh, under the pattern uh, that the world grants to us sometimes. The, the walking with God, the, the denying ourselves something, the mortification of the flesh, as the term has been used from Matthew 5, this, this cutting off of the hand that causes us to sin, those sorts of things, that's not that much fun. And here they're, they're turning back to their slavery, thinking, well, at least we had meat and bread. In verse 4 in Exodus 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. God says I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instruction. And part of that test was you're not going to get this bread every day. On the seventh day, you're going to rest, that the bread of life is actually going to be me, and I'm going to give myself to you. The, the, the Sabbath day, the day of rest, the, the seventh day, is God's gift to us as bread, as nourishment for our souls and our bodies, of rest in him and rest from our labors. But the test was whether they would go out and gather on the sixth day enough for both the sixth and the seventh day. And there actually comes later this time in which people were going out on the seventh day to try and gather up manna, and there was none. And God was not happy about that. And here, now the folks who came and found Jesus, going back to John chapter 6, can turn back there with me in verse 31. They're alluding to the fact that this manna was given, that God rained this bread from heaven, not realizing that the part of the reason why he was doing that was to turn them to him, to show that he's going to provide for them way more than even Egypt could provide for them, way more than slavery and bondage could provide for him. He's going to give them stuff, and they're not even going to have to work for it apart from going out and collecting it. They're not going to have to grow the food and grind the grain and all that stuff. He's going to give it to them. And Jesus gets on them for this. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This awesome illusion that when you go back and you read in Exodus 16 again, and God is talking about manna raining bread from heaven, you got to think Jesus God being the, the perpetrator of all that is good in our lives. All that is given to us. And that includes his son. The one who is the true bread from heaven. This bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I've talked about this a billion times on this podcast, in my sermons, in my Bible studies, in newsletter letter articles, in, in blog posts, and all this stuff. This has to call into question for us, our life in this world today, when you have Jesus Christ coming to you saying, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, and we go around thinking that we have life. We go around thinking that our life is perfect in what it is that we have in this world, and he comes to us and says, you don't have life. You have something, but it's not life. I've come to give you life, true life, eternal life, life in him, life that can't be taken away from you. They might kill your body, but they can't take your spirit. God being life for you. Christ being life for you. And then in verse 34, 
they do one thing right. Sir, give us this bread always. Give to us that which we need. The living bread. The, the, the bread that is, is more than just bread. The bread that gives to us that which we cannot provide on our own. That's where they at least get something right. Well, I'm going to leave it here for now. We will catch up with this, these next uh, few parts of John 6 over the coming, the coming weeks. But there's an important tie-in to make quickly, a sacrament tie-in, as usual. And those of you who are not of a sacrament tradition, there is a connection here of this true bread of God being given into the world in Jesus Christ and Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist where in the Lutheran tradition, it is not just a remember this, remember what it is that Christ did for you, that on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. That is all true, but we hold to the fact that when he says, this is my body, he means it. And so when you come to communion at my church, for instance, I make the point of telling you that you are receiving Christ given for you in that bread, which is always a hard sell, a hard thing for people to believe. But also it means that when we come to that table, we realize that we need that bread. We need that Jesus. We need what it is that he provides for us, which includes not only that bread, which is life for us, broken for us, but also is blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Needing that, quite literally coming to the altar rail coming before the altar to receive the elements from the table, the sacrament of Holy Communion, and admitting that we are ones absolutely in need of this Jesus, of this bread that we can't find anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. We'll keep that in mind as we continue through John 6. But until next time, Go with the blessings of God upon you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.